Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, I'm John Kennedy, and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes are the 1975 to talk about how they wrote, recorded, and produced the album Being Funny in a Foreign Language. The 1975 are a pop rock band from the UK, formed of frontman and guitarist Matty Healy, guitarist Adam Han, bassist Ross MacDonald, and drummer George Daniel. The friends first met each other while at school in Cheshire, and as teenagers they started to perform together. After experimenting under different names, in 2012 they released their debut EP as The 1975 on Dirty Hit Records. Two more EPs followed, and in 2013 they released their self-titled debut album, working with producer Mike Crossy. Beginning to establish a loyal fan base, their experimental blend of genres proved a hit, resulting in the album reaching the number one spot on the UK album charts and certifying double platinum. Consistently building on their early success, the band's subsequent three albums have seen them continue to embrace an ever more genre-bending aesthetic, with every one of them reaching the top of the UK album charts. Their 2016 record, I Like It When You Sleep, and 2018's A Brief Inquiry both earned Mercury Prize nominations, with the track Give Yourself a Try earning a Grammy nomination for Best Rock Song. In 2020, the group was named NME's Band of the Decade, and in both 2017 and 2019 were crowned Best Group at the Brit Awards. Having established themselves as one of the defining bands of their generation, their latest album, Being Funny in a Foreign Language, released in October 2022, is produced by Matty George and Jack Antonoff. Once again, the band draw on a wide variety of influences. Rooted in performance, the album showcases the band's most intimate sound to date, all the while packed with their usual indie pop energy. Today, I'm here at Spitfire Audio, and I'm joined by Matty and George. And what better way to start our conversation than by hearing something from the record? This is all I need to hear. Get out my records when you go away. And people are talking. Miss what they say Cause it all means nothing My dear If I can't be holding you near tell me to love me that's all that I need to hear great song it is a great song <laughs> that is all i need to hear it is the 1975 from being funny in a foreign language the new album and i'm very pleased to say that i'm sat with matty and george from the 1975 back in the place we talked before for yeah. take notes it was amazing i remember it very well we were really hung over that time but because that was the night after the brit awards mm -hmm. and you came in here very kindly and you know that that episode has become our most popular episode ever on oh, tape wow. notes. Wow. Um, and I mean, your fans are very, very dedicated. They're devoted to you, but they're clearly very interested in minute and detail. Of course. Because they've listened to tape notes, which, as we all know, is a very deep dive, but your fans are willing to go there, which is fantastic. What do you think 
it is about yourselves or, or your fans that brings that kind of devotion. I think there's one thing that I've noticed is that there's a lot of ourselves that we do give. So we like we let people in a lot and we've obviously documented pretty much every recording session and stuff like that. But people haven't really seen that much of how we do what we do. And um, there's been a couple of videos that we've put out during this record that have kind of been behind the scenes stuff. And that's actually been really new for people. So the the mystery that we still have left kind of remains in the in this kind of stuff, which is why we're quite excited about coming in. And yeah. it's going to be a long episode, so strap in if you're like <laughs> driving or something. Well, it's great to have you back. The first song we're going to look at is part of the band. Uh, maybe we could hear a bit of the master before we dig deep. She was part of the Air Force, I was part of the band I always used to burst into my hand And my, my, my imagination I was living my best life, living my parents' way Before the pain penance and verbal penance And my, my, my cancellation So that's the version that ends up on the album. That's the finished version mm-hmm. of Part of the Band. Mm-hmm. And where does it start? It's such an interesting <laughs> song because it's so hard to kind of pinpoint or describe or put into a, a genre box because in some ways it's one thing and in other ways it's another. So with all that cello... Um, that, you know, doesn't, come, that doesn't sound like the 1970s. <laughs> no, well, I know. No, but on an overall feel, somehow it feels kind of quite American, kind of yeah, reminds yeah. me of Tom Petty or something like that. Yeah, it's very American. But at it? the same time, it's voice and cello, which makes me think of Arthur Russell or something like that, which is still American, but quite a different aspect. Yeah, of or that. Lou Reed. Or, yeah, or, yeah. Or, um, I mean, do you want to hear the demo? Yeah. Before yeah. we, it, before it we goes, start. What's really interesting is, like, you can't really tell what it is. When you see us play it live, you'll realize that, like, yes, there's a lot of strings, but also, like, a lot of that is, like, Mellotron and stuff like that, and getting a lot of that kind of percussive stuff came from playing in a kind of keys way. But um, this is a perfect example that, like, songs are songs. So we were saying, like, when we started making Being Funny, we had this myriad of genreless stuff. And when we knew what type of record we wanted to make, we were like, right, where's the songs? So then we went and found part of the band that was us being like, what? I don't even know what we're doing. Being like the Hold Steady or something like that. It was this it's like... Kind of Springsteen, but... Go on, just play it. We'll go ahead, just play what it is. I can't even remember what this sounds like. Go on, play it. And I haven't got the lyrics yet, you can hear, but I've got the kind of I can't like it. So is this all four of you, or is this? No, nah, it's just me and George right. messing around. Yeah. Oh, 
Okay, so this is all still there. And then what does it do? Stop. <laughs> That's where it goes bad. Jamie loved that bit though. I actually like that bit, but we used it for um we used it for something else. So it kind of got cannibalized. So there you go. That's where part of the band starts. So when we got into the studio, we were like we were having this conversation about like macho and tough, you know, like bands when they grow up a little bit, like men bands, they've become macho. Like Metallica or something. Well, they were always macho, but like, you know, like REM were like tough, but they weren't macho. So we were looking at songs like that and we were like, that is just a bit macho. But we quite like the, I was part of the part of the band. We like the kind of, as George calls it, like throwaway. Like I have four voices. What are they like? Elvis, throwaway, like like the characters that I have. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's yeah. like love me character. So when we went in the studio, me and George and Jack were talking about music and then i think it was um i mean we started to re-record that similar to that and then jack started adding a bunch of cello samples and then we sort of were like we loved all the parts in solo and then when we played the song together we were just a bit like oh, i just don't know so we just took the drums so out. then we were just like soloing stuff and it's quite often a way that you kind of have a breakthrough with stuff this is jack antonoff yeah yeah no, so, Jack Grealish. It's Jack Grealish. <laughs> yeah, he plays for City. <laughs> He's got um, Amazing producer. Amazing. Good reference for the American. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Go so, on, explain what you mean then. So, yeah, we were just listening to stuff in solo and we ended up with like a bunch of the cellos and just like a kick drum and the vocal and the bass. And then there was a moment where we were all just sort of looked around at each other and we're just like this feels like something really cool let me try and recreate what that was heartland rock is the phrase that is often applied to springsteen and oh Tom that's Petty nice and you know, the- well you know what it is this the original of that and like when we are together the last song and the thing people talk to us about country music a lot now you can break down our music into country music very easily because that's kind of what it is like I'd have to admit that, like, when I was a kid, my favorite record was was uh, Wide Open Space, the Dixie Chicks. Like, I, I grew up on those kind of melodies. So if you take It's Not Living, If It's Not With You, or Be My Mistake, or any of those songs, they're just country songs. And I think that what you're talking about with like, that Heartland thing is that that's very, like, a Jersey kind of thing. But I've always resonated with the South of America. And I think it's because it's there north of England. You know, it has its own vernacular it's demonized, it's underfunded, it has its own very recognizable folk music. Slightly it's, different politically. Yeah, yeah, but but very political. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. To make the joke, but still an incredibly political pace. So I think that I've always there's a synergy between those kind of things. Anyway, Let me I see thought, if yeah. this is any good. And is that a real cello? Is that you playing that, George? Or is that a... Is that you? <laughs> that, one, that one is not. Because you mentioned to me earlier, I play a lot of cello on this one. Well, well, that sounds a bit earnest. It was... <laughs> um, we kind of, as whenever we could, we were like, okay, someone play the instrument that they don't play. Because yeah. it was kind of a good way of... Getting interesting get, Getting sort of uh, imperfections that you wouldn't get if you were really good at your instrument. So, you, so what, start, what, start with one and then layer up to four. You want to hear the worst cello ever? (laughs) (laughs) 
Where is her? She's... That's Jack. That's you and Jack. Me, this is me and Jack. It's actually our new band. Just... So let me hear all of them together now. That's the song. So then we were like, right, so that's the song. And then we were like, Street Hustle. And then I was like, oh, okay, easy. Yeah. Um, and then actually, funnily enough, I remember we had a... Well, it wasn't an argument. We had a debate about the kick drum. We did. The one that Jack reached to was like... Actually, very modern, almost mm. like a hip hop sounding kick. And you were like, no. Yeah. And then we yeah, realized it was, like, it was actually a really nice sort of juxtaposition between a really modern kick and the rest sounding a bit. Yeah, what old does the kick sound like? Oh, yeah. It's like almost like Metro Boomin. Yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> a Metro Boomin kind of. There is, there is, there is a real one. There's a real one there. But I thought it was really nice. Uh, and then the bass, everyone's like, oh, the double bass is really cool. Uh, it's not a double bass. It's a bass with a tremolo on. It's the bass. And then the trem is. So it's like you're kind of getting a bowed instrument. And then I was doing the, the cello bow on the 330 with like yeah, loads of distortion. That's, that's what this is. Bowed guitar. Horrible, but amazing. Like, there's like 10 minutes of just nightmare sounds, and then we found that, and we were like, okay, that's great. But it's very difficult to get anything nice sounding out of it. Oh. It's so good. It is really good when you get it right. And it's harmonic, that. but it's also like, it's faded splendor, you know, that's the thing that we always talk about. Um, and then, so what happened was, the song was literally... I was part of the Air Force, part of the band, and then uh, you go talk about the people, baby. Then it went back to Vaxinista, Tobag, She Breezes. And then we went to New York, and I was like, it doesn't need a chorus, but it needs something. And Phoebe Bridges had just asked me if I wanted to open up for her at the Greek. And I was go we were going to LA to go and write for a bit anyway. I was like, I'd love to. So I went and played, and I don't have that many songs that I play on my acoustic guitar but so I wanted to do this kind of like Greenwich Village kind of thing where you like play songs that are around and we're mates with songwriters my mate Ben Leftwich has this song called New York that I love but it wasn't finished it didn't have a bridge so when I turned up to the the Phoebe show I don't want to say like I improved a bridge but in the dressing room I kind of just came up with a bridge that became what is now the chorus of part of the band so have you got that there like me playing it live so you can hear so we're now moving to a YouTube clip of you performing on uh, the 22nd of October, 21, 22nd of October, 21 is when that got wrote. This is within a Benjamin you, Francis Leftwich song. Yes. Yeah, you a bit that yeah. hasn't been released. It, ha it still hasn't been, still, <laughs> it hasn't, still been hasn't been released. Been, wow. Amazing. Different lyrics now. I ended up changing the lyrics, um, but that's essentially if you play the chorus of part of the band, George, 
Then changed it to Same structure Some drunk doing fisty cuffs Reminds me of the two of us So some songs are complete Frankensteins, you know, and they feel the most natural. That's great. But it's great. I love the idea that you're constantly grasping at Straws. whatever opportunities. <laughs> no, whatever opportunities. So, you know, the Phoebe Bridges thing was a special one-off yeah. moment, which, you know, something to enjoy. Mm. But at the same time, you can try something out there on your friend's song. Um, incorporate it into yours, and then and then you go back and meet up, and and then. But that's what happened in the sixties. Yeah, that that, that was this the, like songs that I'm obsessed with. Like like I always talk about country music, but like, I mean, the guitar that me and Jamie just tracked down and bought is like a whole other story of just like our investment in country music. But like the Carter family and Jimmy Rogers, and like like where that starts from, like people going to like mountain communities to find melodies to like bring them back. The song is like this sacred kind of thing. Like I love that the um, it being bigger than everybody else. So like doesn't really matter who plays it, which is why like all I need to hear, the thing I'm most excited about that song is someone's going to do a cover of that that's better. Because who wrote um, Song For You? It's not Warren Zeffon, was it? It was... um. Well, Donny. It, it was a, a white bloke and Donny Hathaway's version of that is the definitive version of it. Now, it's when you write a song that is like so universal. Leon Russell. Leon Russell. Leon Russell wrote it. Who's a great songwriter and, and did a great version of it. But um, that's what I mean. It's like the universality of songs and how they can be interpreted. Like, I think that'll happen because we've got yeah. two songs that don't and maybe shouldn't require me to sing them. And it's, I couldn't be more in love off a brief inquiry and it's all I need to hear. They don't need me singing them. All of our other songs kind of do, to that make sense. Yeah. So going back to New York and the recording of this song. So you're back in the room with Jack Antonov. You're working on this song, evolving it, bringing in extra bridges from various different sources. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, what happens next in the evolution of what you're trying to do? And Because it's obviously already gone through a few different stages in trying to find itself. Well, it just became a song and then we knew how to finish it. We knew that it needed an outro. We got all those BVs done as well and recorded lots of people that weren't you on the chorus. Yeah, like um, Japanese Breakfast and stuff like that. It was, the thing is with this record, like when we decided that there was rules, the rules became very tight. The rules were essentially like no frills. Like if you can go into the computer and into the world of soft synths, you know, 21st century crate digging, like don't do that. Like just use what's in the room. Do you know what I mean? So we were limited to our favorite room that's ever made music. I mean, the room where they made Vo- D'Angelo made voodoo and they haven't moved anything. So like George is tracking the drums there. I'm playing the piano there. It's not a hard place to be inspired. And then um, for clarification, which room is this? Studio three B upstairs, top right. Of um which of Electric Lady right. in, in New York yeah. where Hendrix and Bowie, but for us, Voodoo D'Angelo is such an important micro. But um yeah, so it kind of happened between those two places. And then part of the band we knew was kind of just in a place that it would just finish itself. We finished it at Real World. Oh yeah, we recorded the outro at Real World, and which is this 
So we had no ending to the song. It just finished. It, it finished after the second chorus. Three, four, end. But then, kind of kept going. It's that neoclassical, almost reminiscent of Bon Iver kind of thing. Yeah. And that's when you get, oh, the song is one chord, two chords, three chords. And you're like, oh, it's not this abstract, that it's just as straight as it comes. And also you can hear the guitar part, which is essentially the only guitar part we use in the album. So you've got... That was my rule. That's my guitar part. Oh, Caroline. I want to get it right this time. Or, I'm in love with you. I, I. So, my guitar part on the album is always the same. It's just a different variation of it. Yeah. Loving you, I, 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 or Caroline, or that's it. All the textural horns actually in that outro were from a different song. They're from Caroline. Is that right? Yeah, they're all labeled. I remember just pulling them in because I thought it was going to take me forever. I pulled in like 25 tracks of ambient sax, and I was like, okay, I'm going to have to put these in time. Let's hear I just it. played it. And I didn't put any of them in time. It sounds good. <laughs> I just pitched them to the song. And is that John Wall? It's a bunch of people. Oh, it's a bit of John, but it's uh, Evan, who's in Jack's band, who's incredible sax player. I mean, so is John. They're both ridiculous. combination of both of them because one was in New York and one was in the UK so yeah. it's just practical but saxophone's kind of our thing now you know we use it it's like I feel like us and Bon Iver kind of own it <laughs> <laughs> alright that's enough that's enough for me anyway <laughs> so that's part of the band you whipped through that yeah well it's pretty straightforward the, the most interesting thing about it in terms of it's creation was the demo just sounding so different that's why we thought it'd be a cool one to play and uh, how minimal it ended up being it just felt really confident having like essentially like four or five elements you know exactly what's going on play a little give a lot yeah i mean I'm, i love it <laughs> yeah. that with that song you know you're on first initial reaction you you Could kind of you think the it's it's a classic <clears throat> no kind of classic structure it fits into you know other worlds that I wouldn't have associated with the 1975, you know, that the country world that you've mentioned, the, you know, the heartland rock aspect. And yet the reality of what instruments make it up is actually quite kind of left field. Yeah. You know, in many ways. So it's, it's all the same, man. It's all just telling stories and trying not to get in the way of the emotion of that. That's what it's always been about. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, we don't think about genre because like genre has always been so just like present in our life. Like it's so like, 
to decide on a type of music that we like would be so exhausting. So we just don't. We're just constantly searching for the truth in something, and whether we believe it. <laughs> <laughs> You've said way more pretentious shit that's already why today. That's why I'm laughing because you have so, to do it now. I'm not I'm like trying, you are copying. I'm not George trying to be pretentious because Matty's pretentious. George is copying. Just saying. <laughs> I'd call it copying. Conviction. Do the exact same thing. That's copying. Sorry, John, what were you saying? I was just going to say, before we move on, let's hear a section of the song that we haven't heard from the final master to kind of round up part of the band. Which one? Let's say a second verse where we go, enough about me now. Vocal led by Michelle, not by me. So my, uh, my vocal is further back and then I come forward now. Some vaccinist, the toe-bag chic baristas Sydney's on the communist keisters Writing about their ejaculations I like my men like I like my coffee Full of soy milk and so sweet I won't offend anybody while Staying in the pages of the nation Doing a live fade out, guys. George is actually fading this out. Do you know about the fade out guy that used to do in the 80s to get cocaine budgets? Mm, there was like a naivety amongst like major label dudes. So, like, people who were like really on the session, they were like making records, they would put a bit of a budget to the side for the fade out guy. So, they would, they would fly <laughs> in a guy who like is perfect at doing the fade out. And um, obviously those guys don't exist because you'd have to be stupid to believe that. But that's where they got uh, a lot of their budget for Racket, which I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> I tried it, but Jamie didn't believe in the fade-out guy. <laughs> Go on, one more interesting Brilliant. point about this song. Yeah. Go on then. If you're looking at the screen, this is the EQ on the lead vocal, which is insane. That's how dark it is. How can they look at the screen? Because they're recording. Oh, yeah. right, okay. So if you... If you, if you Explain that because I don't even understand just what you listening mean. On the podcast, you can look on our YouTube. So, like, usually on a pop song, the vocal EQ would probably look more like that, right? And this is way darker, minus nine dB the other way, and it's incredibly dark, right? And why does that work? Because the song is so sparse, it, right? The vocal is not struggling at all ever. She was part of the Air Force, I was part of the I mean, band. Right. To be honest, that was actually the double. And my, my, my Just that dark, the lead. lead is still... Now I'm getting good five. at... Ozzy Osbourne's the best at doubling vocals. I was living my best Like that would be normal. Yeah, you're right. And this is where we're at. My, my, my it's nice. It's warm. I got really good at doubling vocals because we weren't doing any edits and we weren't doing much manipulation or we were trying to do stuff in like one take so i was like really doubling and that's kind of like muscle memory but like ozzy's the best at that that's interesting yeah he's really good at it we're gonna move on we're yes, gonna take yeah. a quick break and we're gonna look at another song which is still up for debate just which one from the album we're gonna look at well, what, we did, gonna look what at? did we have uh happiness oh caroline all i need to hear take your pick but we were going to look at the 1975 as well. Oh, we're also going to look at the 1975. Okay, let's do that. So that's decided. We're going to look at the 1975 in just a moment. So the next song we're going to look at is the 1975 by the 1975. For the fifth time. 
this will get bigger if you know what I mean I'm sorry if you're living, you're 17 I heard it's on vogue to be super thin But your friends aren't thick, so they can't come in Feeling apathetic after scrolling through hell I think I've got a boner, but I can't really tell And the fans are on Drinking Aperol And it's about time So that is the mastered version of yep. the 1975. You mentioned the fifth time, Matty. Every album begins with the 1975, but it is different every time. It is. It started out with the, the idea of like growing up in with video games or computers that start computers. So you would have Sega or you would have the PlayStation logo or it'd be Microsoft or whatever it was. There would always be this like checking in. So it's the kind of like the startup of the machine. Do you know what I mean? So that's what we did. And then when we were around notes, the question was who else could do it? And then that conversation became who's an important voice. And then at that time we started talking about Greta Thunberg and then we were like, well, maybe the important voice is actually more important. So we scrapped the song about blowjobs <laughs> and used them, um, Greta. And then with this, it was either stop it there or never stop it. Because it, it's a, you know, you've got to commit to the bit. And what the 1975 has become now is kind of more like the status update. In this record, just to talk about me, like as a lyricist, on my previous records, I'm, I've always been wanting to get a lot out all at the same time. I want to be sardonic and earnest and funny and sentimental all at one time. And I think that this record, I'm doing it more song by song. So this song is kind of about like where we are, the culture war, my empathy towards people who are younger than me, who are having to think about these things that I'm thinking about at that age. And it kind of starts looking outward and kind of gradually starts looking more, more inward on this song. I just realised there that as the, what's the, and young people drinking Aperol. Like I was talking to my mate John, we were talking to Gilmore and he was saying that over the past two years, like mine and his real accents, the accents that we have from where we're from up north have like come back quite a lot. And I think it's because like we've become a lot more comfortable with ourselves. We have spent a lot of time together when we are northern, but like when you grow up in the north, especially like post Oasis, I was kind of like hypnotized into thinking you can be cool and Northern, but you can't be like smart and wordy and Northern. And I didn't have like the cool council estate thing. Like I'm not saying that I was smart and wordy, but let's say I thought that's where my currency was. So I kind of morphed my accent to be a bit more palatable. And then post, I always want to die sometimes. Like I was just like, you know, I, I think that I just became more comfortable with myself and then I noticed it at the end of the happiness video. Yeah, I did too. Did you? Yeah. Like it's really kind of, this is how I talk. And I kind of feel like I've, I've not been pretentious, but I feel like I was like, that's like a self-awareness that's left. And it's kind of left the record a little bit. It's also early on as a British artist, you're terrified of singing in an American accent. Yeah, of course. And I want to do like English. Yeah. Yeah, but now I'm like he a should, bit more. Which he should be. Yeah, exactly. That's not good. Yeah, it's not a good idea. But um, 
The interesting thing about this one then, there was a song called It's About Time. A lot of these songs have straddled notes and a brief inquiry and It's About Time had these lyrics, but it was kind of slow and we liked bits of it. And then we also had a piece of music that had loads of different themes, but it was all, we just used to call it the anxiety music because it gave us a little bit of this kind of excited anxiety. So play It's About Time, George, first of all. Um, it started with that clip of Bjork talking about the TV, didn't it? Yeah, I hope this is the right one. It, it'll be close enough. There's 50 versions of it. We're going to have to put this out because people will want it. Gonna be pissed. Where did you get the Bjork quote from? We stole it off the internet. Oh, right, right. <laughs> it's the most, it's like her really famous interview where she's talking about sort the of personifying characters in literally inside, physically inside television. Do I sing here? Okay, so oh, if, I don't, if I don't, if I don't, it's the super like distorted one. So let's see if I start singing. Give me a bit more volume. That was quite good. <laughs> So when was this recorded, this version of this uh, song? So this song has been in a state of evolution. Oh, that's got the... <laughs> that's got the ubiquitous line that you that wrote. That was my finest work. What is that line? Should we recap that? And yeah, re let's go back because there's a line in that that we cut that's fucking Premier League. Go back, go back, go back. <laughs> Turn it up. You'll never make kids pay attention in class with the world in a state of ubiquitous. <laughs> Ubiquit ass. Kids looking at ass. I was like, George, you're as good as me. That is up there. I but think we I've cut, written the we like cut it because we had, to cut, we had to cut the melody. So just play it a bit more to see where the song goes. That and Car Crashian is kind of the only Yeah, two Car Crashian is yours as well. It's mine. Just clear that up, guys. Uh, wait, where are we going? Just kind of, I'm interested in what this does. <laughs> So a lot of the lyrics are there. Fuck, maybe this is better. <laughs> it's quite good. It's pretty good. It sounds great. I mean, it I... sounds a bit old though, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds like. So, is there a second verse? Yeah. Oh right, so we really did write this song properly, didn't we? Yeah, but also it's like... another line. 
No, that's it. Okay. That is it. So um, now play anxiety. Now play um, on trains anxiety music. Just before that, can I find out when you recorded yeah, that, that version is, of it? Let's have a look at the file, mate. It like started out like 2018, 17. Right, okay. But the melody of the song had been around for... Cause this no, has been no, a song no. For... That, was, that was later on. The melody came probably around about 2020. No, it didn't. No, it's all been around about 2000. Really long time. Yeah. It's not that old. The vocal isn't that old, but the uh, it's about time. This is what it looks right. like. That's yeah. quite old. So if you play... I mean, you and and, and the Björk it. inspiration, did that that's lead to it? That's very old. The, the, the it's about time. Uh, let me try because and find Because she says it's about time. She said. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. That's where, that's we, got where, the, that's where we got the thing. And that's why we didn't tell anybody until now. And now we're going to get sued by Björk. Oh, well, it's not coming out. So She probably doesn't believe in like suing, does she? Or she does a or lot. Or she like really does. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, what I'm saying is she seems chill. Yeah, based on her most recent music video. <laughs> I think she seems chill. I okay, think... the song goes back to around about 2018 and the Bjork sample kind of w- was what inspired it. This is very much a George thing. So like George made that music and then mm. I started singing over the top of it. But then what happened was we had a piece of music called, I don't know what we called it, the anxiety music. So play that, George. We're big Steve Reich yeah. heads. And this is very Reichian. Time signature is really interesting. I mean, this is old. This was going to be the 1975 for a brief inquiry into online relationships. Now the problem with this, the tension exists in the fact that it isn't resolving. And I started to try and sing on it and it took away what it was. So I would go. Or something. And it got rid of that kind of like It was just really sad by itself, and we really wanted to use this. So if you stop that, and then you think about what we just played with It's About Time, and what the 1975 is now, and now we play the 1975 from the top, the the album version of the 1975, it is those two ideas combined. But not strings, just pianos. Right. Slowed down? Are they slightly slower or are they yeah. the same? Is that- well, they're kind of in yeah, the middle. It's, it's, One was half time. Yeah, it's in, it's in between. This will get bigger if you know what I mean. I'm sorry if you live in your 17. I heard it's So that's how we managed to get the two ideas to work. Then the ending was quite interesting of this song because we had mm. we had been experimenting very, very much with where we could go sonically on this record. And I think that we knew that it was going to be kind of one thing. And the end of this song is we kind of push it as far as we're going to push it experimentally. And where does it end up, George? If you skip to the... So skip it ahead. 
step down. Drops into the key of happiness. Drops into the key of happiness. And then this was a keyboard sound and guitars. And this is also our ode to local hero, Mark Knopfler, being Geordie. Right. I'm a huge Newcastle United fan. And when Newcastle come out, we always have local hero. And the last riff on this is is a reference to local hero because we build up to it. Nearly there. End of local hero now. Do you know the only person who's picked up on that? Sam Fender. <laughs> That's great, though, isn't it? The right person to pick up on that. Exactly. Mark, I'm just Mark play a little up. fraction of... This is the full-length demo of that second half. Mm. From LA. Okay. was going to be the 1975 as well. It's just me vibing out. I mean, this is kind of what we do. We just mess around. Yeah. And, oh, oh, I like that bit. For the 1975, the song, the continuing motif that runs at the beginning of each Sorry, album. John. I'm vibing <laughs> out. <laughs> Turn it up. Maybe this is better as well. We're in the postmodern world, dude. We can we can play shit like this, and then we can finish it and put it out. No, I know. I was just. Being annoying. I just need to write some hard lyrics for this. Sorry, John, what were you saying? No, to me? I was just wondering whether you know the the continuing motif that you can find in each version of the 1975. Does it always have to have a little bit of that to make it the 1975? No, so say so like as because in in effect this is two songs. Not anymore. It? Not anymore. It used to. Yeah. I feel like the only thing in the only thing in this version that's at all reminiscent of other 1975s is the ambient like ARP, which is from the OP1, which is in the Greta version, and mm. the, I think the version before the, that. The Plinky Plinky Piano. Well, it's yeah. actually not, okay. but it's the same synth. So there's yeah. always something yeah. going on. Because I thought I recognised that element, and because you know, the first half of the song, well, pretty much all of the song, is that other song that we've kind of worked our way through. Of course. Which is you know, completely different. Yeah, totally. But then there's that tiny little bit of recognition that you would recognise from the beginning of the other 975s on the last couple of albums anyway. Yeah. And then the next song goes into happiness. And mm. let's give a big shout out to DJ Sabrina, the teenage DJ. Get up her original version of happiness. Have you got that? Because You've got they, the one that was, because before we chopped the loop out, that would be cool to play. So you, it crossfades from the 1975 on the album into happiness. Yeah. But you've also, it's not just a crossfade. You've also kind of changed the key changes into the key yeah. that you use on happiness. And then you start that new song as we, as we listen to the album. Um, but now you're revealing another source for happiness. Is that what? 
Well, what happened was we were like in between this place of not knowing where we were going to go sonically. And she sent us this very forward thinking like piece of pop music that kind of felt very nostalgic, but also very modern. And I was like, okay, well, what that makes me think is like in between that is timeless. So that's what inspired me. It was too like retro nostalgia for the thing, but the song was there. Almost reminded me of Never Gonna Give You Up. And it was called Happiness. The demo was called Happiness and the song ended up being like called Happiness. I'd never call a song Happiness. But um, it oh, just... They, they chopped up that interview of you Yeah, they chopped up an interview that I didn't realise was me until we mastered the album. So I thought it was just like some interesting English Broke. voice and then we... Interesting guy. <laughs> and then somebody pitched the vocal of us. Oh, that's me. How dare you? How dare you? But then I suppose you don't need to pay royalties on it. But anyway, so... Is happiness an interesting one to talk about? Because like... I'm pulling it up. It's kind of how we... Um, I think there's a lot of cool stuff in it. Did you find the demo that Sabrina... No, thing, no? no I didn't. I lost my phone in oh, New yeah, York. And then, did. and then I got all my stuff. Mm. I've got st old... Okay. Did we do stuff on this? Yeah, yeah. The, this is from the... So she essentially the sent us this. No, she's she sent like a 10 minute loop. Yeah, which oh, was sorry, those, which a, was not those... a loop. 10 minutes of like vibing. It was like jamming and then you were like, oh, those two bars should be the that's right. rotation. So play it and then that's probably what we did. But this is after we chose the rotation. Okay. So what she sent us was this. Kind of a riff. It, it was this actually, the intro was this. Let me try and find the loop. And it kept going. So this is us and Sabrina. Then I was like, right, let's take a, a two bar loop, nearly a vamp. So here we go. Best thing about this tune doesn't rhyme. I mean, my rhymes with my. <laughs> See, it was a 75 record before anyone else got involved. Do you know what I mean? The tunes were all there, but it was just getting it sounding fresher than what the 75 had done. Because like when, when I was like, the solo should be on an acoustic, not on an electric, because the solo used to sound like this. Who said that, way? I think George might have suggested it. <laughs> but he suggested it because I didn't like the solo. Right. Yeah. It's true. And who's I really Sabrina? Liked this one, actually. Sabrina I the Teenage the DJ is a, is a combo of a... Um, two siblings that make interesting music. I think they're kind of like artists, artists. A lot of artists know them, but I don't think a lot of people listen to them. But listen to them. They're great it's producers. Um, play the original solo. Oh. 
original. <laughs> yeah, I feel like someone might have done that better before. <laughs> I'm trying to put my finger on. Trying to put my is. finger on a band who have hmm. done that sound better than us. Should we wear masks too? Oh, not a real sax solo. Anyway, so happiness just kind of became. We were just like, right, we've got that. Let's go in a room and play it. And we did it. And that's where you get a lot of the, she showed me what love is, showed me what love, the back and forth thing, because that's like a live thing you do when you're having fun. So that's where that came from. So yeah. we're in happiness now. Do you want me to play a bit of the master? Um, should we end with the master after, if we build up the different elements of the song, and then we can end with the master sure. and get an idea of... Oh, yeah, okay. Let's have a look I'm how the, the song works. I'm in the session now. There's some really funny stuff in this, like the dinner chat. Oh, yeah, there's the dinner chat. Make sure there's no, like... No, no, I did. Okay. There's nothing too <laughs> spicy in there. Just try and build it up from back line to top line. And it doesn't matter, like, when stuff comes in. So we still have... Um, yeah, let's start, let's, with the, let's start with the drums. drums and... Because the bass is quite interesting. Okay. That's our intro kind of foundation, yeah? Now solo the percussion. So this is our kind of speaking in tongues kind of liquid liquid. Yeah. You know, that's kind I of... I like it. Is this all George? Yeah, it's yeah. all George. No, this, the, one of my favourite loops in his is jazz. This guy, really good. Oh, yeah. That's like um, the demo for Wanna Be Starting Something. Yeah, it's quite Michael. Yeah, that, and then we did some Lindrum stuff. Oh, yeah, the, the electronics. Yes. So this is where we started arguing. Yeah, but it's iconic. I know it, it is. Lindrums. I was wrong. I was wrong. Fine. <laughs> and then the real kit. So this is the real mm. kit. It's actually so quite that's just chunky. You. Yeah, it's, it's quite chunky. It's quite quiet. So the song is really the bass line and the keys and the drums. So if you just get those in. Where's the bass at? Boom, boom, More like a guitar. Yeah, it's a weird bass part. Not but we really wanted to keep line. it talking heads and not like yacht rock. Do you know what I mean? Like, we didn't want to keep it anything, but we we wanted like that's more like Tom Tom Club kind of like. That's the song. Put the, the, the things in. We added some more real keyboards. So this is JV, and then we had a CPA, which is an electric mini grand. A bit more real. Take it out in front of me. I'm gonna start messing it up because I'm feeling like I'm messing it up. So how did we end up doing this, the solo in the end? Did we slow it down? Did I record it slowed down? Mm. I don't 
think so. I think we uh, the, dem- f- the demo was recorded half time, then sped up. But when we went to the acoustic, we the transient it, wasn't right, was it? It was just um, the performance became very weird, and we just had to record it in chunks of real time. I think. Yeah. So that is me playing um, the acoustic solo, even though it's want- like super fast. Play the acoustic solo soloed, or just play it with the drums, because I'm ripping. John, <laughs> I want to hear it. Yeah, I want. I want to hear it, bro. Because I literally went. You played it like twice on the demo, which is always really hard to like recreate. One take. That was no, not true. <laughs> Just um, one take. <laughs> Hearing it that way, it has a kind of nice Balearic feel. A Balearic, yeah. Feel. You know how the, you know when when in the evolution of house music, and you know it came out of. Ibiza and oh and yeah Italian oh yeah islands. but you know they went through this phase where everything had to have you know the house beat but with an acoustic guitar of on course top. oh we would call that poolside but I know exactly what you mean right. yeah that time in garage music as well where everything yeah. was acoustic guitar yeah. Craig David did that a lot nylon very, very guitar well. I don't know where nylon guitar came into garage music but I'm I'm here. so glad I'm here did. for it yeah I'm very here for that <laughs> it's so good um, yeah there's also a really funny. Uh, Thing that sounds like a bird. I don't know what it is. It's a guitar. But... The party alarm. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I love that. Because you'll notice it now when you hear the salt. It's really cool. Excellent. Maybe we should hear happiness as it sounds on the record now. Yeah, okay. Fast forward it though. Once we had the bass and the drums and the keys, it became obvious just to do the 1975 guitar, which is major pentatonic. I think people don't think that I can actually play anything else. (laughs) I've actually had um, messages from guitar teachers being like, if I have another student come in, and ask me how to play 1975 stuff, and I have to explain to them it is just the major pentatonic scale for five albums. Just learn that, and you've got it covered. But what you don't need more than that. This is when I was like, okay, we're going to make like a hat. We're going to make an East of Eden. Is it East of Eden? 
the Talk Talk album, is that the name of it? Spirit, Spirit of, Eden. of Eden. What is East is East? Is that what I'm thinking? No. Um, um, East it, of Eden is a James East, Dean film, isn't it? Uh, anyway, Spirit of Eden has this thing that Hats by the Blue Nile has where it's like this really perfect understanding of the form, but it's kind of like unshackled and kind of free to go wherever it wants, but always comes back and reminds you that it's like pop music. So happiness was kind of that for us. So it was like almost the most poppy, but the most informal. Yeah, we wanted to sound like the intro was kind of like everyone figuring out what to do. Well, which is what it was, yeah. which is what the same was with All I Need to Hear, which was just us figuring it out. Especially like the bass, just doing a thing. I remember telling Ross not to play the part until the vocal comes in. It's just like literally like making it sound a bit rubbish. Well, not rubbish, but a bit like there's no part. really hard things to get right because the chords and the bass don't really work because there's this like the keys are kind of landing on an e but the, what's the song in is it in a i can't remember the, the, i can't remember what it is but it's landing on a, on the wrong note and it works when you get the balance right but live was really difficult to figure it out because it just sounded wrong because it is essentially b. wrong b apparently right okay yeah so it's landing on an e so yes that's happiness excellent well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to look at Oh, Caroline. We've got time to do that. We've got time to do yeah. loads of shit. Excellent. So the next song we're going to look at is not going to be Oh, Caroline. There's been a change of plan. We're going to look at When We Are Together. And George is going to play us a little bit of The Master. First kiss was Christmas in the Walmart toy department. She said, I should take you with me when I leave. We were searching New York for a fancy new apartment. She said, Central Park is SeaWorld for trees. You ask about the cows wearing my sweater. Something about the weather that makes them light down. So that is When We Are Together, as it sounds on the album. Yeah, so let's hear the demo of When We Are Together, and then I'll tell you the story. I might get 
Okay. So that's what we had. And by the time we'd started making Being Funny, we knew how refined it was. And we kind of had the conversation, do we need the acoustic ballad really on this record? And we came down to no. And whilst we were having that conversation, we were also in the final battle with the record, which was with a song that originated on notes that spread across that into this session and it was called This Feeling. Now it's still arguably, if we get it right, a great 1975 song that I'd like to do, but we really struggled getting it into an aesthetic that didn't ruin what it was, but was as fresh as the rest of the album sounded in comparison to our old stuff. So if you have that song, George, Play the beginning, should have my verse and then a chorus. Yeah, one second. And then I'll explain the context of what happened. So this is the demo of this feeling. This feeling. That'll be on a future 75 record. It's just that we couldn't get it together. And then also I broke up with my girlfriend. It reminded me too much of my girlfriend. I didn't want it on the record. I tried to make it work. But basically what happened was we basically made that song, put it on the record, delivered the album to vinyl because you have to do it like six months before it comes out. That's why albums have to be finished a long time before they come out sent it to vinyl. I had an existential crisis, said that can't be on the album. So then we were like, okay, we'll pull it and we'll make it a 10 track record. And that just felt incomplete to me. So me and George just went to New York to figure it out with Jack. And I was like, you know what? We've got when we are together and we don't want to do an acoustic ballad. And me and George have always loved Steve Gadd's part on Copper Line by James Taylor. It's this tempo that we've never really used. Again, comes from country music. So I was like, what if I just like paint the fence on the banjo, paint the fence on the acoustic, and you just sit behind it, we'll get like a hollow body bass, and then a fiddler, not a violin player, like a fiddler, and let's see what we can come up with. And we we started, we tracked it up, and then as they were tracking it, I was writing the air. Uh, the second verse and the third verse, or I was going back and finding stuff to reuse. And then we ended up with like, if you listen to like the banjo part and the drum part and the bass yeah, by itself. play the banjo and the drums. Mm. 
This is where I was at. Like, this is how I felt. Yeah. Then you bring in the acoustic. It's just in a room. Like, listen to the drums by themselves. We're just painting the fence. But no one does like that, like George, for me. And what more do you need? And what's the bass sound like? That kind of hollow body Gibson that we used? So this is just me and George. The guys weren't in town. I mean, the guys don't care. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, Ross is like, I, I could play it. <laughs> now bring everything in. Peace more into scented candles. Oh, I'll never get that smell out of my back. It was poorly handled. And then in the breakdown, we just got the guys to come in and noodle, didn't we? I'm a racist and some kind of yeah, there's some really amazing textures in the breakdown because Bobby, who played the fiddle, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's insanely good. Again, so, so Jack's, Jack's guy. Jack was, uh, so Jack, Bobby Jack. sourced Jack. Jack, Jack Sorry, Jack, the other way around. Jack, so Jack sourced Bobby. Yeah, yeah Jack sourced uh, quite a lot of the players. Like, we've had players that we've gone to before, like Roy Hargrove, who passed, sadly, after some notes in a conditional form. And, we have our band, like our band is our band. So the only additional people was kind of geographical, logistical stuff. Do you know what Bobby normally plays? Is he just session stuff or does he? Oh, he does loads of stuff. I'm not sure whether he's played with Bleachers or whether it's Jack's right. sort of go-to session guy. Um, yeah, he was insanely good, but he's such a good marriage of like, the ability of a session player, but having really beautiful taste, which is quite rare. Um, but this is the thing that like, George talks about, like not showing off. Like what we had to do with this record was like go in and understand what it was. And it was kind of a lyrical led. You can hear what it is. Do you know what I mean? And like as a lyricist or as a songwriter, it's easy for you to like want to show off and be like, I'm here. Or like it would have been easy for George to be like, I'm here, you know, because George is such a great sound designer, but there wasn't that much sound designing that was required outside of finessing like especially the Especially not this song. No, especially not this song. So like we just like kind this of. This is my one moment. <laughs> But again, it's made it's made from organic stuff. But that's what makes it the semi-five. Yeah. Because if you take George out... Take George out, this is what you're left with. <laughs> so think about that one. Think about that one. <laughs> Sorry, that was good. But an I mean, amazing to think that you had to turn this around really quite quickly, this new made song. made this in two days. 20, 24 yeah. hours. Yeah. Right. We had, to, we had to, we were recording the vocal at midday on the Thursday and it had to be sent to master by midday the night. By the next day. Friday night. Friday we night. Two days of doing it and then by the end of the next night we mixed it. We had we, to mix it Because we were like, it doesn't need mixing. It's not a song that needs to be mixed. Yeah. 
So actually, it was the only song that me and Jack just were like, yeah, it's done. And there was something kind of beautiful about that because it was like the sign-off for the record and we realised that, like, that's kind of how we were doing things now. You know, this wasn't like a big construct that was like a witness to a moment. And we were allowing ourselves to even be witnesses to those moments. You know what I mean? Like doing stuff and like all I need to hear that was one take and then being like, okay, yeah, maybe we don't need to live in a house for six months together and maybe we just turn up into a room and be a band for an hour, you know? Yeah. So it was, it was. to play this fiddle solo on its own just because. Yeah, because if you listen to the quality of this playing, it's absolutely stunning. So the, the chicks, previously the Dixie chicks, was supposed to do the BVs on this song. We couldn't make it happen in time because we had 24 hours. If I do a remaster, I'm going to get them to right. do it 100% or if they'd ever want to come and do it. Because that's that's the, the chicks. For me, that's where I'm getting that from, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have got this big North American tour coming up. There might be opportunities where you could welcome them to the stage. For sure. And then we do the kind of bootstrap paradox where it starts, you can either describe it as a bootstrap paradox or a 12 year old's poem. The, the first line is the same as the last line. <laughs> the first sound you hear on the record is the last sound that you hear on the record. So this song devolves back into the beginning of the 1975. This is the end. That piano comes back. And we wanted to make a record that makes you want to listen to it again. Because it's just like 45 minutes and then you you do it again instead of, you know, like notes and stuff, which yeah. is like act one to seven or whatever it is. Yeah. It's exciting. We're pretty much going to play the whole thing live. The idea at the moment is that we're not even going to have a main support. We're just going to open for ourselves by playing, being funny. And then we're going to go off for 10 minutes and then we're going to come out and do greatest hits. Sounds amazing. I think it should be good. Yeah, so. that sounds amazing. Shall we just uh, have a quick extra bit of the master and then there's just a couple of questions sure. I want to ask you and then the fade guy can come in. The only time I feel I might get better is when we are together. With sandals, she's more into scented candles. Oh, I'll never get that smell out of my back. It was poorly handled the day we both got cancelled because I'm a racist and you're some kind of slack. You ask about the cows wearing my sweater. Something about the weather that makes them lie down. The only time I feel I might get better. Yes, yeah. when we are together. Yeah, excellent. So, I mean, you've been on the podcast before, so we 
ask everybody these questions. The first one is the kind of tech question. I mean, it probably, you know, in the past we'd say, oh, the you know, most important piece of equipment of all time. But what, what are you feeling at the moment? What's, what's the go-to? Um, most important piece of equipment on this album? Um, Me. <laughs> oh, what do we use the most? Well, you know, our favourite is probably the TM. The, the TG distorted DI yeah. guitar sound. Yeah, that's on like two or three songs because that's a remake of a Abbey Road channel strip from a desk Abbey Road and like the Beatles used to do and a bunch of other, there's like a Motown thing as well. You just use the preamp to distort a DI guitar, which is like technically like the purists would be like, what are you doing? You need to use an amp and needs to pedals be valves or whatever. Yeah. But like, we just went straight into it. Just a quick, they probably were just like, I don't know, some of them might have fallen on it in the studio and just gone, whoa, what was that? And you put like a 330, like a Gibson 330 through one of them and it's like slightly breaking up. Like that is that kind of yeah, it's nice Beatles sound. There's more, there's more dynamic to it because if you're playing really softly, it's not distorting, and if you play into it, then it really breaks. And up. Um, is this a piece of hardware? Or is it? A yeah, plug-in? it's, a, it's yeah. a rack. Yeah, it's a rack, and the um, keyboard unit. A uh, JV ten eighty. Yeah, JV ten eighty. Yeah. I bought that during lockdown after like googling like what keys did Fleetwood Mac use and stuff because I knew they weren't real, but they always sounded semi like hybrid organic sort of sounds, and it was a few different things. It was like a Korg M one. And then Roland JV 1080. And they were sampled, I believe they weren't actually synthesized, so they were sampled real instruments to some extent. We so all, yeah. Yeah, we also that got that was something that we hadn't used on any other record. We'd been trying to get those sounds and never sort of nailed them. So, and we yeah. only used them, right? No, it was the JV and then the CPAE, which, CPA. which is the electric actual baby piano. That's right. This yeah, electric mini grand, little a little so, electric mini grand. They're kind of cool. So it's like a very good. Oh, it's halfway. the same one that we had in um when we were making notes. We wrote "Sincerity is Scary" on one of those. Yeah. Um. Also, we got a lot of use out of a filicorda, filicordia, filicorda, filicorda, filicorda. And harmonium, and just we were making pads and textures from kind of organic. There's this whole yeah, thing that, like, you know, people to... say, like, crate sifting doesn't happen anymore. Nobody has, like, blisters on their fingers from, like, going to a Brighton record shop and, like, sifting through, like, old solo records. It's like, bro, do you know how bigger of a world the computer holds of, like, all of your soft synths? Like, you can get so lost in those kind of places and, like, what's the right keyboard sound? Like, it could take you forever. So we just kind of, like, limited those kind of things. It's like... Harmonium, Philicordia, Piano, CPAE, like that's what we're going to use. If you've been in the band for 20 years and you can't do that, then it's just all aesthetics, isn't it, really? So this was yeah. just about like. And anything that wasn't real, if it was from the box or whether it was from a synth, Jack had a Dynacord, which is actually a digital echo, but it sounds very analog. And then like a Binson and a tape echo. So anything. And a copycat. Yeah. So anything that was digital source, we would run through this analog stage and it really brought everything into the world. And then we ran everything through tape, but as soon as it started to sound like black keysy, like we are using tape, we uh, pulled it back. Yeah, but, most um, of the drums were sort of 
sent to tape. I like to set up tape like a reamp sort of line in the studio, so I don't need to cut to it, but I'll send stuff out and yeah. back in. I mean, here's like a Space Echo stem of a vocal. We were searching New York. So there's a fancy new apartment, she said, Central Park. I mean, it just sounds like a vocal, but in context against non tape echo. We were searching New York. Like, you know, that's Jamie, our keyboard player, singing. Does very hi fi, and then you add this in. We were searching New York. It's like it's a bit broken, so it fucked. It's just about texture and warmth, you know. We were sitting That's Matty's space echo. Fancy new apartment. So you can really hear that. We were Against that. in New York. And are you enjoying any particular plugins at the moment, George? Or have you kind of put all that kind of on hold? In plugins it? are lame, bro. <laughs> useful though. Yeah, but I've useful got, stuff I've... is annoying, isn't it? Like my phone's useful. <laughs> I actually, I mean, there's a surplus of like, I'm getting quite into like analog channel strip emulations that have like the random voltage sort of selector where you flick through different channels that have been modeled from a desk and you will actually hear there's like a plugin lines focus right one, which has a really nice random channel selector. So it's like anything that creates imperfection or enhances imperfection for me is what I'm into now or like hyper creative plugins like sort of sequenced effects and stuff yeah yeah things that like really mash anything that creates randomizing is also really difficult to find good stuff i don't use ableton but i think i have ableton and the reason i want to get into it is because they have amazing potential for randomizing any parameter well you think that john hopkins is in there with like all of these mad analog you think that he's like the king of that shit He's just Ableton. Yeah. He's like an Ableton guy who's just got it mastered so perfectly. And it's like... I'm Forte. Yeah, just, yeah, Forte. He, I mean, he just those, uses a laptop. But those guys are just so goated. They've been doing it for so long. Like, they are the best at that kind of thing. I wonder even, like, what burial... Like, when we went to Brian Eno's studio, we were expecting to walk into some kind of, like, palace of gear. And he had, like, a broken MacBook and, like, these cheap speed... Like, he don't give a fuck. It's not about that. It's about like, I don't know. You always think that these guys are way more. I know like Nils Fram's ahead and I had dinner with Max Richter. I was very fortunate to do that. And I know like he's ahead, but like a lot of these guys that aren't heads, man, like they just, they've got their one thing that they do. No, I mean, it's like someone being like, who's the best painter? Oh, well, he's got the best. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's like Vermeer versus Picasso. So the uh, the other question we always ask is about advice, you know, and it's a few years on since we last spoke to you. Have you learned anything else advice. that you want to share? Advice picked up along the way? Don't listen to our advice. <laughs> yeah, don't listen to um, our advice. Don't ask artists. One thing... People find it useful, though, Matt. One thing that I think is really difficult as a producer is knowing when to stop and knowing when to take stuff off and making sure that you can hear everything that's going on if you can't hear it, it probably doesn't need to be there. Yeah, play a little, give a lot. But also, trust your instinct. Don't over-intellectualize stuff. Don't write stuff down on a board. Don't write the word verse down. Don't write the word chorus down. Don't do that. Like, trust your instinct. Don't over-intellectualize it. It's like David Lynch. When people are like, how do you direct movies? He's like, well, I read the script, and then the first thing I think of, I write it down, and then I go and film that. I don't really think about it. And to be honest with you, like if we, every time we had what feels like a good idea, 
if we went, why is that good? Then you'd just get into some quagmire of conversation. It's just like, you just have to trust that your instinct is right and just do that. I suppose that's why we are where we are, because if we'd have like looked at what had really worked or whatever. If you don't love it, it probably sucks too. That's exactly. nice and succinct. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming back and being oh, on thanks, Technos thanks again. Thanks for having us, man. Thanks Real for pleasure. having us. Yeah, yeah we, really love, we really love it. Love getting out of the Pro Tools rig, don't you? Man? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love listening to you chat about all that really exciting stuff that you're talking about <laughs> at the end. Sounds so fun. <laughs> who would you like to hear on tape notes? Probably me again. <laughs> no, who do I want to hear on tape notes? Burial. Burial. I'll give you... Four, four I, I burial. bet I'll, I'll, that you can't get him. We will pay you to get Aphex, <laughs> to get Burial, or to get Kieran in here. You know who would be great in here would be Fred. Yeah, Fred's great. Fred again, 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 we again, have again, to again, again. Oh, you talked yeah, to Fred? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm just not up on my podcast. No, but, but he he was brilliant and uh, such a lovely guy as well. Jack would be amazing Jack on here. Jack is legit, man. Like, love Jack. Put um, in a good word for us. I will do. Taylor Swift exists. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, put in a good word for us with Jack. We would love to get him on tape notes for any of his projects. It would be interesting. And it's been brilliant to have you back. We should play one more song, an outro song. Thank you. Caroline. What should we play? Yeah, because we didn't end up discussing Oh Caroline. It's just a good one, isn't it? I've been suicidal. You've been gone for weeks. If I'm undecided, you decide for me. Maybe I'll do anything that you want to. I try anything that you wanna, I try Cause you're on my mind Thank you for listening we hope you enjoyed the episode if you have a moment do tell your friends and leave us a review it all really helps thanks to those of you who have already donated to the show i'm just one part of the team that brings you tape notes it relies on your support if you'd like to donate please head to our website once again thank you for listening until next time goodbye it's honestly not for me i'm getting on my nerves but getting on